Welcome to another bonus episode of The Way of Love. I'm Kyle Oliver, and I'm here with Sandy Nguyen. Thanks, Kyle. For our second bonus episode, we'll hear more of the conversation Bishop Curry had in Episode 8 with Linnea Main. She's the Episcopal Church's representative to the United Nations. We gave you a little taste of the conversation in the episode, but we thought you might like to hear a little more. So the first minute or two might be familiar if you listened to that episode, but the rest will be new. Enjoy the conversation. Linnea Main, tell us who you are and what you do for a living. Bishop Curry, it's my honor to be here with you today. So my name is Linnea Main, and I work on your staff as the Episcopal Church's representative to the United Nations. Now, I suspect a lot of Episcopalians probably don't know that the Episcopal Church is actually involved in the United Nations. Tell us a bit about that. Bishop Curry, you'd be surprised. We go way back to the very beginning of the United Nations. The Conference of San Francisco, where the United Nations Charter was signed in San Francisco in 1945, included opportunity to go to Grace Cathedral. If you go to Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, you can see the mural of the original meeting of the Conference of San Francisco that founded the United Nations. We have many Episcopalians who have been at the United Nations, not necessarily as Episcopalians. One of them we know about is Eleanor Roosevelt, for example, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, who we honor in our holy books, and who was one of the founders and and chairs and drafters of the Universal Declaration Mm -hmm. of Human Rights. That was signed in 1948. Our General Convention affirmed it in 1948 as well. Mm -hmm. So we have been there since the beginning. And we've had representatives in various forms, and the Anglican Communion has that observers. Is, that is correct. Well. The Anglican Communion and the Episcopal Church both have a long history mm-hmm. of a more formal institutional relationship that what are called non-governmental organizations mm-hmm. can have with the UN. There are different types of affiliations and relationships. One of the more important ones is called ECOSOC status, Mm -hmm. and uh, the Anglican Communion got its status in 1985, and we received ours very recently in 2014. Now, ECOSOCs, that's not something you put on your feet. No. (laughs) (laughs) So what does that mean? (laughs) The UN is full of acronyms. Yes. (laughs) We think in the Episcopal Church, we've got a lot of acronyms. Try the United Nations. <laughs> so indeed, ECOSOX is not some new environmental trend. Uh-huh. ECOSOC refers to the Economic and Social Council, which is one of the six main organs of the United Nations. Okay. Oh. So you've heard of the Secretariat, the yes. General Assembly, the Security Council. Another one is called the Economic and Social Council. And you also bring together, I know every March, uh, some remarkable women come together. Tell me about Absolutely. That. We have some amazing women and men Uh and young people of Uh all genders, really, who come to the United Nations and have been doing so for at least 20 years, if not more, Uh every year to come participate in the UN Commission on the Status of Women, Mm -hmm. which is the largest conference worldwide to talk about women's empowerment and gender justice and equality. We have a long, proud history alongside the Anglican Communion of bringing especially women to come Uh to on those issues. Now, you have some personal commitments because this mm-hmm. is a job, but it's not just a job for you. Exactly. It's, it's kind of it a... It's definitely not just a job. What does that mean for you? <laughs> 
<sighs> I am doing this because I feel called to this work. Mm -hmm. I have a background in international relations mm -hmm. and political science. So my history working with the United Nations predates my history working with the Episcopal Church. And I was already a Christian, but I had a pretty amazing experience with Jesus, and I just, it changed everything. That was wow. back in 1997. I was lecturing in world politics, mm -hmm. international relations, mm -hmm. teaching about the United Nations. Mm -hmm. I had worked at the UN. I had done a master's thesis related to the United Nations. But I found in a public university setting, I couldn't talk about God. And I got yeah. to a point where I had a bit of an existential professional crisis because I wanted to put God at the center of my work. Mm. That turned into a vocational journey, a discovery of the Episcopal Church, a discernment mm. process. And I found this position, and it truly wow. feels as if I've been called to do this alongside others, of course. What a blessing to be able to do the yes. work that you truly believe yes, in. Yes, absolutely. So I get to talk about Jesus. You actually do. <laughs> he's okay at the UN too? He's, he's everywhere at the United Nations. Oh, okay. We can tell you stories of going to visit ambassadors, uh -huh. representatives of different countries, uh -huh. where we have gone to talk about a subject that we're passionate about as Episcopalians, yeah. such uh -huh. as gender equality. Uh -huh. And what we have met, for example, in one case was second secretary in a mission who wanted to talk about his desire to be a priest really, and gave us a book of theology. We went to talk to one ambassador who wanted to pray for us at the end. So we encounter faith all the time at the UN. It is a joy to do that work because no matter what the subject, we're always led back to how Jesus has called us to this work. And there really is opening to the church and religious voices? Yes, yes. There really? has been an ebb and flow. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, and so it is a secular environment right, right. that has been and has also not been open to faith voices. We happen to be in a period where the UN is evolving where what we call civil society, non-governmental actors are more accepted. And in particular, the UN is beginning to recognize that the faith community has been doing the same work the UN is trying to do mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. as long as we can remember. So we have been feeding the poor. We have been welcoming refugees. Mm -hmm. We have been assisting those with disabilities, the same kinds of things the UN is trying to do. Mm -hmm. And they need to partner with faith communities in order to do those things. So it's a good time to be there. You know, and I, I know that for some, the United Nations is controversial. But one of the things that I, I've learned, I've been in parts of the world that have come out of various kinds of wars and conflict. Mm. And I can tell you, the UN very often is present where nobody else is. That's right. But you know what? The United Nations thinks that we're present where no one else is. The United States, you mean? The United Nations thinks that faith communities... Oh, I thought so. that's what you meant. Yeah. Are, 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 <laughs> yeah. are present. Yeah. Because a recent example with Venezuela, for example, uh -huh. we've been in conversation with other ecumenical partners and interfaith partners on how to help the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs identify places in Venezuela where humanitarian assistance can be delivered. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, they need to hear from us what the needs are. Mm -hmm. They're not there locally. The churches right. are, the mosques are, the synagogues uh -huh. are, the places of worship are. And that's where people go when they're in need and when they're sure. in crisis. So we have been able to provide information about what the needs are, 
and also identified different places where humanitarian assistance could be delivered mm-hmm. because the UN doesn't have warehouses right. or actual feeding distribution centers. Mm-hmm. They rely on us for that. So there's a wonderful partnership that has developed that directly impacts and assists, we hope, those are, who are in need of that assistance. Yeah, it's sometimes forgotten that faith-based groups actually have networks, certainly yes, in the developing definitely. world. In a church like the Anglican mm-hmm. tradition, yes. certainly yeah. in parts of Africa, mm-hmm. it's got us, well, we don't think of ourselves as having an organizational structure, right. but you have archbishops, and then you have bishops, and you have dioceses, and then you have congregations, and you actually have a community, a network mm-hmm. of community yeah. that and- can serve. Absolutely. And one of the things that UN agencies recognize is also the deep connection that religious leaders have to their communities. We really know who we're talking to, and we really are in dialogue and community together, and that makes for a very strong social cohesion that the UN relies upon in order to assist the people that we are already involved with. 